You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can follow along with the notes for this message and get better connected with our church by visiting church2911.com connect. This Sunday, we continue the beginning sermon series. Here's Pastor Rick with a sermon that's simply titled, Where? So, let me take you some scripture. And uh, this is uh, the story of the prodigal son. Now, I've heard a lot of sermons on the prodigal son. I preached a lot of sermons on the prodigal son. Uh, this parable. What, what this is, is a parable that Jesus, that Jesus told to, 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 you know, means it probably wasn't a real story. You know, he, he's making up this story to, to show us the examples of, of, of how God works, how the kingdom works. And so it's, it's probably not a real story, but, but Jesus uses this. So I've preached a lot. I've heard a lot of people preach on it. And most of those sermons were on the actual prodigal son. A few of them were about the father of the prodigal son. But this one today, and I don't know that I've ever heard one today really based on this, but, but this one today is really going to be on his older brother. Okay, not the, not the son, but his older brother. Okay, so, so we're going to read scripture. Let me set it up so we don't have to read quite as many scriptures. We're going to read, we read quite a few right here in just a moment. Let me set, set the story up just a little bit. So Jesus begins telling us a story so we understand uh, about the kingdom of God. And so there's this man. He's pretty well off. As you read through, you realize, okay, he's, he's a man. He's of pretty, pretty good means. He's got money. He's got servants. He's got land. He's got herds and all of these things. Now, his youngest son comes to him one day and says, uh, Dad, I, I want you to give me the, the part of the inheritance, the half of, 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 of your estate that is going to belong to me. I want you to give it to me now instead of me having to wait until you die. His dad obliges him, divides it in half, and gives him his half. Well, I don't know if the dad knew it or not, but the son intended to leave and go just live like he wanted to live, just enjoy the money as long as he could. It didn't last very long. After a while, you know, all the money was gone, and he had to get a job. The only job he could find was feeding pigs. And I don't know if you know anything about Judaism, but, but uh, if you do, you know that pigs aren't just nasty like to me and you. They're actually vile. They're actually, you know, uh, something that they're just supposed to stay away from. They're, 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 viewed as, they're viewed as spiritually filthy as well. And so he's feeding the pigs, and he's so hungry, nobody will help him eat, and he's so hungry that he actually would like to eat the food that he's feeding to the pigs. Finally, uh, the scripture says, he comes to himself and he says, no, wait a minute, here I am eating these pigs. My dad owns so much, even his servants eat better than I'm eating. Even his servants have plenty. And he says, so I'll go back home and I'll just ask dad if I could be his servant, you know, because I've already blown it. I, I, I'm no longer a son. I've already taken my inheritance and blown it. So I'll just go ask him if I could be a servant. So here's where we pick up the story. Luke chapter 15, verse 22. But when, when the prodigal comes home and says, uh, Dad, I'm no longer worthy of being your son. I just want to be a servant. His father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead, and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son, the, the prodigal son's oldest brother, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music dancing in the house because, hey, the party had started, right? He heard all of it, and he, so he asked one of the servants what was going on. Uh, your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, wouldn't even go in. So his father went out, begged him, but he replied, 
all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And he continues, yet when this son of yours, doesn't call him his brother. He didn't say this, my little brother. He said, this son of yours, y'all ever do that with your kids like, you know, that son of yours? <laughs> he said, yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. He's already wasted, spent all of his money. He didn't spend my money, he spent his money. But you've always stayed by me and everything now that I have is now going to be yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Just a few weeks ago, I, I mentioned this story and, and very briefly as we were talking. Talking about the 90 and 9, how Jesus also told it another little quick parable. This was a pretty elaborate one. It's got a lot in it. But he told another little quick parable about, about a shepherd losing one sheep. He said when he loses that one sheep, he'll leave the 90 and 9 that have not, that have not gotten lost, and he'll go find that other one sheep and bring it back. And when he does, there is more celebration, more joy over that one sheep than the 99 that never left. Now, it's easy for those of us who are in church, we've been in church for a long time, to say, well, is that how Jesus feels about us? He's more excited about someone just coming to him than he is, and we've served him for all this time. That's kind of the attitude this guy had right here, okay? That's kind of the attitude of the older brother. But the father said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, you need to realize, you need to realize your, your brother was lost he was dead to us. We didn't know where he was. And now he, it's like he's come back to life, and we have to celebrate. No, I didn't give you a fatted calf. No, I didn't, you know, put a ring on your finger. No, I, maybe I didn't, I didn't order you some shoes today. He, he, he didn't do those things. The reason, and he said, you know, I, I didn't get a ro new robe out to put on you. And you know why? You know why he didn't do those things? The oldest son didn't need a new robe that day. Because every single day that he lived, he had fine clothes to wear. Every single day. You see, that's what sometimes I think you and I, we forget, we miss. We serve an and God. We serve a God who wants to do that, and he's able to do more. And what we see, and he's able to do more. And, and, the, and the older brother, he was missing the fact that every day he was walking in the promises and the blessings of God. And you and I, we can do the same thing if we're not careful. We forget. We say, well, God's more excited about one coming home. So, no, no, the reason, you're there every day. You're, you're experiencing the blessings every day. And so now this, uh, this clothing thing, it, kind of, it symbolizes covering, like in the story of Adam and Eve. Let's talk about that for just a moment if we can. You know, when Adam and Eve, uh, they were innocent. You know, they didn't even realize that they were naked or what, what that really meant, you know. They didn't even realize what that really meant. And so they were innocent. Yet when they sinned, as soon as they sinned, they started feeling the guilt, and they also felt like, you know, man, we need to cover up. And so you know what they did? They ran and they hid in the bushes, right? Jesus, or God, had to come through the, through the uh, garden and find, you know, where are you at and all that, find them. And, and when he did, he did a couple of things right there. Okay, first of all, he talked to them about their sin, but then he made them coats to cover up their nudity, all right? He, it, it, think about it. You know, they, they walk with God. They talk with God. As the way we see the when we read the scriptures, way it's it's portrayed there, and then all of a sudden one day they decide to disobey God, and they've never thought about what are we going to do after that. Okay, we're going to disobey God. What are going to be the consequences? What are we going to do about that when God comes back to the garden the very next next time? Are we going to tell him? They didn't think about that. They didn't have a plan. So when God came back into the garden that day, 
They had to just run and hide. And so what God did is he made them coats to cover their nudity so that he could show them, I got a plan. They hadn't even thought about what the next step is, but God has a plan. And he didn't just cover their physical nakedness, but he also said he showed them that he had a plan to cover their spiritual nakedness because he talked to them about how one day the seed of the woman or, or one of her, her descendants, and we know now he was talking about Jesus, his own son, is that he was going to crush the, this, this enemy, Satan, that had tempted them to fall. And so what God was showing, they didn't have a plan, they didn't have an idea what they would do, but what God was showing them is that he had a plan to cover their, their physical issues, but also to cover their spiritual issues with them. You know, I think this is a good way to say it, okay? Is, is this what, we, what we're learning here, is, is that this, this uh, symbolism of the clothing is for us to understand that God's got us covered, okay? Whatever your problem is, he's got you covered. Whatever you're dealing with, he's got you covered. Whoever your lack is, he's got you covered. Wherever you feel like, wherever you feel guilty, or wherever you feel like, like you don't measure up, God's got you covered. He's got a plan to cover you, okay? Now, secondly, he also, uh, uh, and, and the second one is uh, the plenty to eat, the food, okay? And, and every single day, you know, he, he didn't have to have a feast for the older brother. The dad didn't, because every single day that that boy lived, the older brother lived, he had plenty to eat. He had plenty to eat. And, you know, you and I, we're, we're, maybe we don't have, you know, maybe we don't have four steaks like Marlon said he had Friday night, you know. Uh, or maybe, you know, maybe I don't have everything, exactly what I want every single meal that I eat. But you know what? I've got, I've got what I need. I don't go hungry. You know, I, I don't think there's probably anybody in this room, if there are, it's probably very few of us who really know what it means to really be hungry. Most of us don't. We don't understand what it means to be hungry. This, this boy didn't know what it meant to be hungry. You know, he didn't, he's like, get this, he didn't need a feast because he had a feast every single day. You know, so sometimes I think maybe we misunderstand. We've got a feast laid out before us every single day. As, as David said in the Psalm, Psalm 23, right? As God prepares a table before us, right? Even in the presence of our enemies. So even when, when we're under attack and the enemy is coming, God's still preparing us a feast. You and I, we have a feast every single day. So he had, he had all the food that he wanted. But this is symbolic to us of how God provides for us our physical needs as well as our spiritual needs. Is that every single hunger you have spiritually... Whatever, you're, whatever you're, you're, you're hungering for spiritually, whatever your yearning is inside of you, God is also able and, and ready and willing and, and is already taking care of that thing as well. You've heard at least twice in the past few weeks, I know already, is that God has already done everything he needs to do. He's already done it. Now some of it's up to us, so we've got to figure out what to do with it. He's already done that. It's there. Everything, every hunger you have, he's already provided for, Okay. Now, before this third one, let me ask you a question. What do John Travolta, Cinderella, and Dorothy Gale have in common? Anybody that wasn't in the first service? Anybody? Any ideas? What do those three have in common? Need a hint? Okay, I got a hint for you. Here it is. But you see, I have the other slipper. 
There's no place like home. There's no place like Anybody got it now? <laughs> the shoes, right. That's the thing, isn't it? Oh, they all have it in common. John Travolta, Cinderella, Dorothy Gale, and the prodigal son and his older brother too, right? You know, the reason he had to get shoes for the younger brother is because he didn't have any. But he didn't have to get any for the older brother because every single day the older brother was wearing shoes. What's important about that? You know what's important about that? When you don't have shoes on, you know what that normally means? That means you ain't going nowhere, right? I mean, in my house, you know, if my grandkids come to my house, if, if their parents are bringing them by for a moment so we, they can pick something up and just walk in and walk out, they have to tell them before they come in the door, don't take your shoes off. Because 15 seconds into the house, they've got both shoes off, both socks off, and they're scattered somewhere in the house. You know, it'll take 15 minutes to find them, right? You know, because they they're not going anywhere. They took their shoes off because they're not going anywhere. Now, that's a good thing sometimes, right? But not in this situation. Here's, here's, here's what we're saying. Here's what we're saying is the shoes, the reason this older brother needed shoes, the, re, the, the, the reason he wore shoes all the time is because like John Travolta, he was going somewhere. I, I don't know if you can see it, but you know, he was holding up his shoe, you know, and, 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 and just comparing it to the other platform shoes. That was 70s back in my day, you know, kind of thing. Showing off, the, you know, thinking about the platform shoes. And then, you know, hey, man, he was, he was strutting. I mean, he had a stride about him, right? And then when you saw his face, I mean, I mean he, he, he was confident. He was going places. He had his shoes and his stride and his face set because he was going places. Are you getting that? Or, or Cinderella. And so when she pulled that, when she pulled that uh, glass slipper out, out, of, out of her pocket, what, what this was saying, she was looking into new horizons that she probably never had dreamed would ever be hers. And now she was going from, from the slave of, of the family. I mean, she was a family slave in the family. She was going from slave to princess because of this shoe. I mean, this shoe was saying something. It had some significance. And Dorothy Gale, I, I don't remember if you, you remember the Wizard of Oz. I think probably most of us, it's a classic. Most of us have seen it. But clicking her, you know, ruby heel, ruby shoes, the heels together when she was doing that, Glenda said to her, you already had this in you to get home, but you just didn't have like the confidence. But the shoes were giving her the confidence to do it. You've already got it in you. But the shoes, the shoes, the symbolism of the shoes to give you the confidence of this is who you are. Uh, this is who you are. So, so this is what the shoes are saying. The reason that, that this, this boy had on shoes every day was because he was going places. The reason this boy had on shoes every day is because he had all kinds of horizons out in front of him. The reason for the shoes is it gave him confidence. Okay, so last thing, the fourth thing is, is he also, every day that he, he lived, he had a ring. Maybe he took it off at night and put it back on. But that's awesome. If he put it on, every day he put that ring on, that ring that symbolized, it symbolized that he gave, it was his identity. This ring that, that, that was a family ring, it was an identity thing. This, this one, this is my wedding band, right? There's an identity connected to it. You know, there, there's an identity to it. This means I'm married to Deva. You know, so this, this is very special to me. You know, and in the same way, his was him. It was his identity. He wasn't married yet, but he was part of this family. It was his identity. It spoke of wealth. It spoke of position. It spoke of honor, and it spoke of authority. And you, and you, you might say, well, I could put on a ring; wouldn't matter a whole lot. No, you're misunderstanding. 
It wasn't his ring. It was his father's ring. You see, the, the wealth was not his wealth, but it was his father's wealth. The, the uh, position was not his, but his father's. The honor was not his, but his father's. The authority was not his, but it was his father's. You might think, well, I don't have a lot of wealth. I don't have a lot of authority. No, but your father does. And that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about our earthly father. We're talking about our heavenly father, and he has got all this, and that's what your identity is. Okay, so now let's back up to all these four things, and let's run through them real quick. Because where, 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 where is it that you can, you can have you know, God do awesome or do amazing in your life? You know, you know the answer, don't you? Is it up there yet? There it is. Everywhere. Everywhere. Okay, but look, because just look at me. In these four instances, just like the symbol of the clothing, the covering, God has a plan for our lives. You might not even be thinking about it, but God's been thinking a long time about it. For it just, you know, you need his wisdom you know, to make decisions, give you insight, even, even, yeah, the creativity. Some of you, your life is about creativity. Your, 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 your jobs or whatever are about creativity. And, you know, and, and all of this is, is there, and God's planning this. He's got a plan. He's got you covered, right? Or, and the second one, just like the symbol of the food, God God gives us provision. He provides for our family, our home, our marriage, our children. Our fa- are, are there anything up here that are the things that you need God to do for you, the areas of your life where you need him? See, it's everywhere, isn't it? He's, got, he's making the provision for that. The third one, just like the symbol of the shoes, you know, that, that, hey, you're going places. God is at work on our future, your career, your school, your business. Some of you are self-employed. Are the opportunities that you have God, God is already, it's not, he's not just thinking about your future, he's working on your future. He's, he's, he's imagining it, he's creating, he is at work already in your future. And number four, just like the symbol of the ring, God brings us into our ident- identity, which is in him, our faith and our salvation, and even in our authority. And here's one of the things that you need to be doing. If you're not already doing this, you need to understand that, that yes, you ask God for things, but that you have authority in him. You need to be speaking in authority in your prayers. You need to say, I'm a child of God. I'm not supposed to be dealing with these things. These things have already been defeated, whether it's a sin or a temptation in your life, or maybe it's a, an attack of the enemy, or maybe it's a battle that you're going with. You need to start speaking in authority of those things because as a child of God, you're like wearing that ring, that's your identity. That's who you are. You have authority. It's not yours. It is his, but you get to pray in that authority because of all this. Now, you may have a lot of questions. I, I've got at least two about this story that I, I, I want to share with you, okay, right here real quick. Uh, and you may have a bunch more. If you do, plan, man, please, uh, send them to me. Uh, text me or, or catch me, and, and, and let's talk about those, okay? But here, here's a couple of them. One of them is this. Is, is looking at this story, I always used to look at it and think, okay, so the young brother comes back and he spent all of his money, and now the dad says, okay, we're going to have a feast, going to give you a ring, going to give you shoes, going to give you a robe and all of that. But then what? You know, then what? Because, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter how rich this father was, half of it is gone, you know. Half of it has been blown, you know, in riotous living, as, as the scriptures say. Half of it is gone. And, and all that he wants to do for this younger brother, he can't do anymore without taking some from the older brother. So I'm like, well, how, how's he going to do this? Because, yeah, he gives him a, a celebration. He gives him food to eat, puts clothes on him, everything. But what about the future? What is left for him? But see, here's one of the, here's one of the issues of a parable. It is, it is really impossible to take a parable and, uh, you know, a, a story about a human being 
or anything here on the earth and for it to completely explain who God is. Understand? I mean, there's no man that we can use as an example to say, you know, he's just like God. So we can't say that completely in this, in, in this uh, parable either, that this father is just like God because he still has limitations. No matter, no matter how rich he was, half of what he had was gone, and he couldn't give a future to the young brother anymore without messing with the older brother's future, right? But that's the limitation. That's the limitation because, and our Heavenly Father doesn't have that limitation. That's what the difference is. That's what the difference is between this parable and the way things really are in the kingdom of God. The limitation there that no matter what it is, half, he can't do any more than that. But our Heavenly Father, he owns everything in this universe. And even if you've been one that's been out blowing everything that he's put in your hands, if you've misused the, the, the blessings that he's given to you, if, if you have misused the talents that he's given if you've wasted those talents, if you've wasted those gifts and those blessings, they're still in God's hands. If they've been spent and, and they're gone, he can still call them back because they still belong to him. If you've betrayed the people closest to you, if you have misused or abused the, the people that God has put close to you and, and you've took advantage of them or whatever you feel like you can't, God still owns all that, and God can still call it all back home and call it and give it back to you. You see, where, where this heavenly or this earthly father in this parable, no matter how much he has, he's still limited because of half. But my heavenly father, he's, he's not limited by half. He's not limited by any of that because it all belongs to him all of the time. And so no matter what you need, no matter what situation you find yourself in, God can still provide. And without touching mine, he can still give you yours. And without robbing somebody else of theirs, he can still give you yours. He can still do it. So what do we do then? So what do we do then? You know, like God rejoices over that one, right? God rejoices over, over that one that comes home. But you see, this whole story, this whole story is about us understanding what our identity is to me. And so, like, even this one, they see, because some of you, you're not like me who grew up in church. You know, and there's only 30-something percent of the people that are sitting around you right now that were in church somewhere before coming to 2911. So if you came back to God or came to God for the first time at 2911, you're in the majority here this morning, okay? <laughs> you know, so most of the people sitting here haven't been in church for years and years and years and years. So if, if that's you and you're saying, well, I haven't been here long. So you say, but what, you know, I, that's the way I feel is I feel like I've just blown it. I've wasted it. Then what does God do? Let me tell you what God does with you. This story does show us what God, God does with you. Because when the, when the prodigal son shows up, the dad says, kill the fatted calf. We've got to have a celebration and a feast. The, the, the prodigal son says, I'm no longer be worthy to be your son. I just want to be a servant. And when the father says, let's have a celebration, he was saying, you are more than a servant, and you always will be, because you don't give feasts for servants. He had a celebration because his son was come, had come home. When he said, he said, bring him some shoes and put on him. And he said, I just want to be a servant. No, bring him some shoes and put on him. Because, you know, back in those days, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, servants went barefooted because they weren't going anywhere. 
But he said, put some shoes on this boy because he's my son. He's got places to go. He's got things to do. He's got new horizons that are laying out in front of him. Are, are you understanding this? This is what God is saying about us and about that, about that whole ring thing. He said, he said, bring a ring, and it's really important that he said, put it on his finger. Because back in those days also, they would take rings and, and they would pierce an ear or, or a nose or something else. Uh, and it was kind of like branding to, to put a ring in the ear or some other part of the body. It was like a branding saying, they are my servant. But he said, no, I'm not, put, not putting a ring in his ear. I'm putting the ring on his finger. That symbolized that he was part of the family. This is what God is saying to us through this. It doesn't matter how long you have been away from God. All that matters is that you're back right now. Because incidentally... You're back, okay? Because even if you just came to know Christ for the first time last week, you were created in his image, meaning you were always part of his family. You may have been lost for a while. You may have been gone for a long time, but you've just come back home. And even if you've just now come back home, he wants you to know you're not a guest you're not a servant, but you are a son or a daughter of God that, that is, 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 has all the rights and is subject to all of the blessings that God wants to give to anyone. You have even the authority of it that is his and the identity is there. All of it belongs to you. Even, even if you've only been a Christian for a week or a few days, it all belongs to you. That's what God thinks about you when you come back home to him. That's what he thinks. Now, just before we close, one, one, one last little thing before we close. And I'll say a little thing. It, it, it's, not, it's not that long, but I want you to get this. This thing about everywhere. Everywhere. You see, when, when we start thinking about God meeting our needs, giving us blessings, normally we think about something like, you know, I don't have enough money to get through the week, and God somehow provides a little bit of cash, and I can make it through the week. Or my child is sick, and God touches them and heals them. We think about, and we, we, we miss about, there's so many ways. You see, you, you need to get this, that as, as a son of God, you might not see a feast every day. He might not have to bring a ring out because you've already got the ring on. But you're missing all of the blessings, like I think that's what the older son did in the story. You see, we're forgetting about, wait, yeah, I've got this all the time. You do too. Well, what we do too many times is we forget, we fail to see that God is an and God. That was last week's message, if you missed it. And, and God, this, and there's something else tomorrow. And there's something more that he wants to do. Where? Everywhere. I want, I want you to see it everywhere. Not just in those places that we readily think of. You ever heard of the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. That is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness. That this, these are the things, okay? Now, I want you to see this, okay? Don't, don't, don't read ahead of me. Stick with me because I want you to get this, okay? The first one is love. You know what he does? He gives us love for our neighbor and our enemy. Okay, let's stop right here because this kind of, I think, sets up this whole thing for the rest of what I want to share with you as we read through these. Is You need to get this. God gives us love, not just for the people that are easy to love. God gives us love for people that don't deserve our love. God, you see, God is giving you, he is meeting your even some of the needs you don't even think you need or don't want, right? I don't want love for an enemy, right? I don't want love for, I don't want to pray for those who spitefully use me. I don't want to pray for my enemies. I don't want to love them. But he gives us that kind of, he gives us love even for our enemies. Even when we're just dying inside and so angry, God gives us love 
for those people who have mistreated and misused us. You see this? God's giving us blessings in places we never imagined he would give us, like joy for our circumstances, even the ones that make us sorrowful. God gives us joy. Let's see, see, most of us, we, we, we think of joy in, in, in just when we have everything is going well. Well, that's happiness, okay? But God gives us joy that even if we have circumstances that don't make us happy, we still have a joy that nobody can understand. Do you see this? How God is meeting needs that you've not even thought of or like peace for our turmoil and our conflict. You know what most people think peace is? Is the absence of conflict. So a lot of people think, well, I don't have any peace because there's conflict in my life. No, we don't, we don't really need God's peace when there's no conflict. We need it when there's turmoil and when there's conflict. And if you've got turmoil and conflict in your life, God has given us peace. It's, now, it's laid out there for us, but we got to go get it. we got to go find it. we gotta, we got to allow him to do it in our life. He is giving us peace for the turmoil and for the conflict. He gives us patience. For our daily aggravations, frustrations, disappointment. Anybody got aggravations, frustrations, disappointment? Anybody? Anybody? Stop nudging your spouse or your teenager. Okay? Right? Anybody got, got what, what is it talking about here? That I, I don't need patience when everything is going well. You see, God is giving you a blessing of patience even in the time of your frustrations, your aggravations, and those, God is giving this to you, you know, so that, so that when, you, when you're aggravated at somebody, you know, until you get that miracle, God gives you patience so you don't kill them before you get the miracle, right? You know, and God gives you that patience, and that, you know, and hopefully none of us going to kill them, but we might kill, an, we might kill a relationship, we might kill a marriage if we didn't have that patience, and God gives you that to be able to hang on, kindness. And listen, we live in an increasingly hostile and uh, intolerant society. And what has God done? He has given us a kindness for this. Just the other day, I kind of went off a little bit with, with Dave, I, not, not on her, not something she did, but just say, what are we going to do with it? I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to answer. I don't know how to deal with this in our society, in our culture right now. This, this hostility, this un- intolerance that, that we seem to have. I, I don't even know how to deal with this. You know, how are we going to do with this? And, and God gives us a kindness for that. He gives us a kindness that when everybody else is, that he gives us a kindness that we can still, we can still operate in. He, he gives us goodness when surrounded by dishonesty and immorality. And you are, aren't you? Every day, I mean, don't, don't you hear people say, ah, oh, nobody will know. Go ahead and do it. Nobody will ever know. Man, I hear that all the time. See it in the media. See it in, in, in our entertainment media. Oh, if nobody knows about it, it'll be all right. You know what they say integrity is? And who knows who said it first because it's been, been said so many different times. But integrity is how you act when nobody is watching. And you know what? If that's the definition of integrity, I would say we don't have a lot of integrity around these days. Because we don't do what we should do often is nobody's watching. If nobody knows about it. And so, you know, just do it because nobody will know. Or it's all right. You know, everybody expects you to cheat a little bit here or cheat a little bit there. Everybody knows that you don't tell the truth all the time. But what does God do in the midst of a time where we're surrounded by dishonesty and immorality? He gives us a goodness within us. He gives us a faithfulness in a time where true commitment is rare. I mean, you know... It seems like these days, when I, one of my best friends growing up, 
It seems like everybody's kind of like he was when he was a teenager. He, he used to, you know, promise he'd go somewhere, and then he wouldn't go. And I'd say, hey, aren't you going to call him and tell him you're not coming? And his famous saying was, they'll know I'm not coming when I don't show up. You know, and I think, you know, that's, that's our society these days. Is that we don't show up, and we don't call, we don't let anybody know. And I don't mean just not showing up for an event. I mean not showing up for somebody. Not being there when we said we would be there. You know, telling somebody, I'll be praying with you about that, never thinking about it again. And a lack of commitment. But God gives us faithfulness. God gives us gentleness as a companion of strength. You know, I, I, I'm really trying to not preach all of these, but I'm having a hard time not. Because, you know, the King James translation, instead of using the word gentleness, it uses the word meekness. And we sometimes, we sometimes correlate meekness with weakness. That's not what meekness is. Meekness is gentleness, which is like God gives us his strength, but then he gives us his gentleness to go along with that. Like a big, huge gorilla picking up its newborn baby with the gentleness and the strength all together. That's what God gives us. And he gives us self-control in a world of self-centered narcissism. He gives, you know, as I was saying earlier in the sermon, talking about how that older brother, you know, everything he wanted, all of his needs were taken care of. You too. I mean, but that's what God is getting. All of our needs are taken care of. If you aren't experiencing them yet, there's something you, else you've got to do. We'll talk about that in just a second. But all of our needs aren't met. But you know what? Every once in a while, we all need to hear the word no. Well, I didn't get any amens, did I? Now, if I, if I said every once in a while your two- or three-year-old needs to hear the word no, would you say amen? Every once in a while your 13, 14, 15-year-old needs to hear the word no, would you say amen? Every once in a while you as an adult needs to hear God say no, will you say amen? You need to. You know, and sometimes we, we say, well, God didn't say no, he just said wait. Now, sometimes God just said no. And he sometimes says no, not because we're not ready, not because the timing isn't right, not because he's got something better for us. Sometimes he says no because we aren't operating in self-control yet. We don't know how to tell ourselves no yet. And so God has to tell us no to help us learn some self-control. And then we have to lean on that patience while he's saying no and we're still wanting that thing. But here's the thing, okay? So you may be looking up that and say, well, I'm a child of God. And you say, these are the fruit of the Spirit, and this is what God gives us. I, don't, I didn't have patience the other day when I had those aggravations and things. And I, I, I didn't have goodness. You know, I kind of cheated too. I didn't, I, I didn't have faithfulness. I kind of blew off a commitment as well and, th you know, those kinds of things. I didn't have all those. Well, here, here's the thing. Is you, those things don't just come. You know, all of us have trees or bushes and like in our yards, right? And when they don't look exactly right, what do you do? You know what most of us do? We get the loppers, don't we? Or the pruners. We go work on the limbs, the twigs, the leaves, maybe even the fruit or the flowers. We go work on those things. But the real need's a little deeper, isn't it? You know, if you really want, if you really want healthy, you've got to go deeper than that. You know, it's like if you want this, you got to go here. here. See, there's something that we've got. This doesn't come just because we've become a Christian. We have some work to do. You know, it's kind of like we talk about how we sow our wild oats. 
Okay, so we've been putting down roots of bad things. We've we got to start working on that. And if we'll work on the root, then God will give the fruit. And I did not really originally intend for that to rhyme, but it did in the first service, so I made it rhyme in the second too because it'll be a good way for you to remember it. If we'll work on the root, God will bring the fruit. Which the converse of that means if we're not working on the root, then there can't be any fruit. If we're not working on who we are in here, then the, we're not going to have these things. So we're going to miss. So, so, so what's the question then? The question is, where can God do amazing in my life? Where can God do awesome in my life? Where can God make a difference? Where can God change things up? But the real question is, where can I do things differently? Where can I say yes to God in a place I've not yet said yes to God? You know, because when, when I do that, when I do that, then I'm beginning to make myself ready for the fruit. This fruit and all that that we talked about earlier, it's happened in my life. I've got, I've got to quit. I've got to, I've got to close. So let me tell you the story. I don't know when I heard this story for the first time, but I saved it, uh, held on to it for the right time, and I think today's the right time. Here's the story. The story is a man comes home and finds his house is engulfed in flames. And um, he, he hears his little boy yelling from a second-story window. So he tries to get in the door to go up steps to save his little boy, but the, the house is so uh, overwhelmed with flames that he can't even get in the door. So he runs back around to the window where he's heard his boy yelling. He looks up, and the flames are illuminating his boy's face. So he can see. He can see his little boy there. So he starts yelling to him, and his little boy hears his dad's voice, and he's excited. And he says, Dad, save me. He says, I I'm here. He said, jump, jump. He said, no, come get me. I can't get up there. You've got to jump, jump. And he said, I can't, Dad, I can't, Dad. He said, don't you trust me? You know I can catch you. You know I won't drop you. And this little boy, he's one of those. He believes his dad can do anything. He believes his dad can fly. He believes his dad can do anything. You know, and, and, and so he's believing that his dad can do it. He says, you, you, you got to jump. Come on, jump. I can catch you. He said, finally, he said, but, Dad, I can't see you. And he says, but I can see you. The little boy couldn't see because it was dark, but he could see because the flames were illuminating the little boy's face. And he says, but I can see you, so you have to trust me. Jump, and I'll catch you, and you'll be safe. Now the little boy, pause in the story, but just think for a moment. The little boy had all the faith in the universe in his dad. Believed his dad could do anything. But with just that faith alone, that little boy was going to burn alive in that building. That little boy had to act on that faith. He could not just have the faith. He had to commit to that faith. And so finally, the little boy jumped out and fell into his father's arms. He was safe, carried him over to be treated for the smoke inhalation, and he was safe. See, and that's, that's what we do, too. Okay, we, most of us are Christians. We've already asked Christ to forgive us. We believe our eternity is secure, right? And we have faith that God can do amazing things in our lives. But we've got to act on that faith. We've got to trust in him. At some point, we can't just say, I believe you, I know who he is, I know he's powerful, I know all these, yes, pastor, all these things you preached about, yes, God can, he can do miracles in every single one of those areas, where, everywhere, I believe that, I believe that, but eventually, you've got to make the decision to just fall into his arms and, and, and believe and act on that belief. You've got to make a decision. I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you this question. Where... In your life, do you need God to do awesome? Where in your life do you need God to do awesome? 
Say it. You don't have to say it out loud. Say it in your heart. Where do you need God to do something awesome in your life this week? Then let's go back to some of those first questions. Maybe that's the place that you need to be doing something different. Maybe that's the place where you need to be telling God yes. But you've never thought about it. I've never even thought about telling God yes there. I've never thought about doing something. I've never thought about just falling into God's hands in that place. Maybe that's where you need to do this. Let me show you two scriptures just, just to kind of finalize this just real quick. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. And Galatians 6 and 9 says, Let, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing. A harvest of blessing. A harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Two things it's saying to us, right? One is saying you can please God with faith. Like the little boy, his dad was excited that his son had faith in him. You know, you can please God with faith, but if you want the harvest of blessing, it's going to take some commitment. It's going to take some acting on that faith. It's going to take stepping into a place. It's going to take falling into God's hands in an area you've never fallen into his hands before. It's going to take an action on that faith because if you don't give up, you're going to reap the harvest of blessing. If you commit to it, if you commit to it, if you commit to it, make a commitment to God. You've been listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a prayer need, our prayer team and pastoral staff would love to pray with you. You can send us your prayer requests by using the email address prayer at church2911.com. If you would like to know more about our church, including information about our weekly services, please check out church2911.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you know that God has an amazing dream for you. And as always, we dare you to dream.